If you were born between 1969 and 1984, you are a part of the 65 million Gen Xers. And you've just found your new family. Welcome to the Carolina Underground. Gen X perspectives on rapidly changing technology, history, media, politics, how they come together and influence every aspect of daily life. The world we were raised in has ceased to exist, but we haven't. Let's do it. Welcome to the Carolina Underground. Now your hosts, Mark and Mike. Yo, 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 we're back again on the Carolina Underground coming to you live from the Replica Bat Cave where there is a bottle of Paul Roger chilling in the freezer and a Claxton fruitcake waiting to be cut. And I don't mean the one that's my wife. <laughs> okay, so are we recording this time? <laughs> yes, we are recording this time for you right. uh, keeping score at home. We, Mark and I have been sitting here talking for about 45 minutes, and we neither one of us bothered to hit the record button. <laughs> well, so I just wanted to make sure, but I'll set you up last time. So I just happened to wonder who thought it was a good idea to come up with fruitcake. Well, I can answer that question a little bit. All right. Mm -hmm. And I've got a story to tell. And, you know, sometimes stories have points and sometimes they don't. It just depends on who you're talking to when I'm telling the story. But they do have a middle, a beginning, and an end. So consider yourself lucky. Actually, you know, and, you know, I like fruitcakes every once in a while. Claxton is not my favorite one. My favorite one is a brand called Southern Supreme. They're made in a little town outside of Asheboro, North Carolina, which is where the North Carolina Zoo is, called Bear Creek. You can go down there, you get the little sampler tray that have all kinds of little delicacies and goodies, because I think they actually do make more than fruitcakes. But um, that's about a two-metformin visit when you go down there eating all that stuff, because, I mean, it's, they, it, it's good stuff. But fruitcakes, as we know them, actually have their roots in England. And uh, a lot of kind of Victorian um, things. But at, fruitcakes actually could be considered to date back, back to the Romans because they used them to sustain their soldiers. And they were in the Roman times, the Roman fruitcakes were made of mash, of, it was a mash of barley, honey, wine, and dried fruit, most of the time pomegranate seeds. And the only reason I know that is because on the Discovery Channel, there is a documentary on the history of the fruitcake. <laughs> right. And, of course, the setup that we missed this time was, was the fact that I was shocked and appalled that there was a document, as much of a documentary junkie as I am, that, that I had managed to miss that one. But, no, that, that is intriguing, though, because you, you, the, the, they are you know, the, uh, the traditional fruitcake that, that everybody kind of jokes about that it's a whole, it's an awful lot like hardtack. If you say right. it really, and essentially, I guess if you're looking at a comparison that from over here, like mm -hmm. from the revolutionary war or sailing old timey sailing days and stuff like that, that's what it would right. be. Well, but it's going to be healthier than hardtack because it's going to have the fruits and whatnot. So that would prevent, you know, running into things like scurvy 
like they like the sailors used to have a big problem with back in the days of the old sailing vessels because the, you know hardtacks just basically ground up flour with enough uh, water in it to hold its shape for a while. So you know, sometimes I think I've got enough all rosé in me to hold me in the shape around. <laughs> that is entirely possible. Entirely possible. But at any rate, yeah, and so then, of course, we, we, we did also segue. You guys have to hear this because this was actually good stuff. We were segueing. <laughs> you got to hit your segue on, on the uh, Cla- Cla- Claxton fruitcake uh, dates and whatnot. So, oh, so the, you up for the that. story on the fruitcake. Okay, yeah. so we used to eat story. <laughs> more fruitcake. We yeah. used to uh, eat it. My wife and I were out to eat. I think this was a couple of years ago at one of the restaurants we eat at a lot or used to eat at a lot before COVID. And um, it was about this time of year, and they had the Claxton fruitcakes there at the cash register so people would buy them. And every year, they have them up there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there looking at it, and the little girl that's taking the money, she's probably in her 20s. Mm-hmm. and she says you know she says if do you eat those and i said well every once in a while i said this brand isn't my favorite and i went through the whole spiel about what i just said about southern supreme and all that stuff mm-hmm. and she said well how do you know if they're good well claxton fruitcakes if you do not know claxton mm-hmm. as a company started making the fruitcake in like 1910 and, and, that, and they're almost finished with it, right? That's right. It's almost done. <laughs> well, on the packaging, it has 1910. And so I'm holding one of those Claxton fruitcakes. And I hold, look at that date and I I show it to that girl. And I said, well, I said, fruitcakes are kind of like wine. And the more, the older it is, the better it is. And I said, you see this one here? This one was laid out in 1910. So now it's about ready to eat. <laughs> and she believed that up. She believed every bit of it. She said, oh, so these are really good ones because these are old. And I said, well, I said, there are some older ones. I said, them other ones, I said, but they're a lot more expensive than these. <laughs> so you got got to age your fruitcake. But uh, yeah, that and of course, that was one of the we, we were talking about uh, telling stories to people. And so I was telling you the story about how uh, back uh, back when I was in the Navy, we had uh, me and a couple other fellows from the South were telling some of this 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 young man from north of the Mason-Dixon land where grits came from, and we convinced him that they were <laughs> taken from the gut of a small furry creature looked a lot like a woodchuck that lived underneath the roots of oak trees. But it was sort of like the, the, the particles that made up grits were sort of like the, the, the sand in a, in a chicken's crop. And but there were dip there there were small critters and you had to kill a lot of them to get uh, get you a good bowl of grit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I guess that was mean. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't know if now, the ever figured it we, out or not. <laughs> we used to tell them that, uh, you know, cows sometimes get stuff in their hooves and the farrier has to come and get it out and shave the hooves down. Well, we used to tell people <laughs> north of the Mason-Dixon line because for right. some reason they think us people down here in the south are ignorant and can't read. We, uh, well, you know, and we're backward and all and that. All that. But actually, if push comes to shove and everything goes haywire, they may want to come down here because we're the only fuckers left that can actually grow food and catch food. But anyway, I digress. 
But anyway, <laughs> so we 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 told this guy that he, we that grits. What happened was is when the farrier shaved the hooves of the cow, he would get the shavings up and take them back and decontaminate them and get all the bacteria and stuff on them and wash them and smoke them. And they'd put them in big bags and take them to the grits mill and grind them up. So grits were actually shaved cow hooves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but you know, and he may still believe that to this day because you know, the whole time he was down here, he wouldn't eat none. Well, but you know, gelatin and whatnot is made from the, that's from those materials and whatnot. Right. You and I have a friend (laughs) A mutual mm-hmm. friend that I used who's to eat had, breakfast. Had his hoof shaved and turned into gelatin. No, <laughs> who has a weird custom when it comes to eating grits? Oh, have now I'm seen. from the South, so it's yes, real butter, lightly mm-hmm. salted butter, not mm-hmm. margarine butter. Mm-hmm. Maybe red eye mm-hmm. gravy if you have it, but nothing. Absolutely, not anything mm-hmm. else. Salt and pepper. Right. So I'm sitting there at the at the cafe, and I've got my grits there. Now they don't have red eye gravy in them, but they got mm-hmm. real butter, and mm-hmm. they got salt and pepper, so they're perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. And I look up, and our friend that we share, our friend, has a mm-hmm. bowl of grits, and mm-hmm. what is he putting in his grits? No butter, no salt, no pepper. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's putting pancake syrup into dad blame grits. Oh my heavens. That is awful. That that right there is blasphemy. A crime against nature. That's it, exactly. And I sat there and looked bad. at that. And I just finally had to tell myself, you know what? He ain't from around here. God bless him's little heart. Yeah, bless his little heart. Absolutely. Yeah, grits are savory. I mean, they're not supposed to be sweet. That yeah, is they're good. supposed to have oh. cheese or red-eye gravy, mm-hmm. salt and pepper, or little shrimps in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I've never been a big fan of the whole shrimp and grits thing. Well, I like it every <laughs> once in a while. I don't like it all the time, but I do like it every once in a while. And I like uh, Andula sausage sometimes with grits I mean, as well. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I I, I mean, I reckon it, it's better than getting hit, you know, getting poked in the eye with a sharp stick, but it's not something. Uh-huh. It's much like the cheesecake. The cheese, we were talking about eating cheesecake year round, and, I, and cheesecake is not something that I'm ever just sitting around thinking, you know, I'm really craving cheesecake. And 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 shrimp and grits is another one of those that I just never Well, really I will tell you this. When I'm sitting around, it ain't craving cheesecake. By God, it is them dad blame Oreos. Oh, I believe that. Well, and some Paul Roger. <laughs> to well, go down and wash it down. The around. problem is this. I'm smart enough that I don't run out of Paul Roger, but I keep running out of dad blame Oreos. <laughs> Well, no, I understand that, but the problem, you know, the problem is you probably pace yourself better with the Paul Roger than you do with the Oreo. Yeah, because it's four hundred dollars a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. And My that's goodness. not a lot of fun when a American Express bill comes in and you've had to go to wine dot com and get Paul Roger because you know that stuff's from France. That's from way over yonder. Yeah, they have to put that on a boat. And drag it across the pond. Well, they probably do it on an airplane now, I reckon. I don't know. I still think, yeah, though, there's a whole lot more stuff shipped over the sea than in the air because. Well, probably. Well, I think there's probably more than we think because, you know, now we always think, oh, it's coming the airplane this and the airplane that. But I think the majority of it probably is still shipped by sea. 
I mean, oh, no, airplanes, that it would be, they're not big enough to carry all the stuff that they send. Well, no, I mean, again, that's the whole thing. You got a, an airplane has to be, I mean, it's basically a great big kite with an engine on it. And so you really can't get as much in even a big airplane as you would think. Uh, and again, in addition to how much weight is in it, you have to be real careful about how you load it because if you load it in a wrong, in a, in a, with too much in the back or too much in the front, then you can't control the, the airplane. So now there is far more still shipped on the ocean because you can stack a whole lot more on the top of a container ship than you can cram into an airplane, even if you could make an airplane as big as the, uh, as, as the uh, ocean liners, or not ocean liners, but these uh, uh, container ships. So, and then they still know. get stuck because I have to, well, you know, I own them statues and stuff I buy. Sometimes it takes a long time for them to get here. Well, that was one. Yeah, I was watching something about, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, Bermuda Triangle. And, of course, they were talking about was they, that. that show on the History Channel? Sailing into been. dangerous waters or something? I don't know because I caught it in the middle. And uh, probably was because it was fairly recent, but I, they were, uh, they basically got a bunch of sonar buoys and stuff out there now monitoring, not sonar buoys, but buoys monitor, you know, uh, from uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic uh, Atmospheric Association, I think is what that stands for. Mm -hmm. But they're monitoring out there for rogue waves. And rogue waves are very unusual, but what happens, the, the theory about how rogue waves are created is you've always got weight, well, not always, but most of the time you got waves and ripples and stuff like that going across the, mm -hmm. the surface of the ocean and they're heading in basically the same directions because they are essentially like ripples in the surface of a pond. But if you got a whole bunch of them heading in one direction and then you've got some other force beneath them, for example, like the Gulf Stream in the Bermuda Triangle, what it does is it causes those waves to compress against one another and they build up into a great big old wave going in a direction that you weren't expecting. Right. And because of the, uh, that was the whole thing because of the, uh, um, because of the Gulf Stream running up along the coast right there at the, uh, where the Bermuda Triangle is and the mm -hmm. way that it comes curving across runs through the uh, Caribbean islands and whatnot as it is coming across from Africa, the, you know, with the Coriolis effect and all that stuff. So at any rate, that's why that, that particular region is especially prone to rogue waves, much like the North Atlantic is, is prone to those really, really tall uh, waves when they uh -huh. get a, a storm up there. Gotcha. Well, they're also, you know, they have the waves that come that look like a uh, chessboard, like a square quilt thing sometimes. Square waves. Now, that's an intriguing one. I'm not sure that I've come across that one. What, uh, where, what you're talking about in the Bermuda Triangle? You're talking no, about I'm, the, 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 no um, I'm, oh, I'm assuming it can happen anywhere. Most of the time when I've seen pictures of them, it's off of like the Canary Islands. And stuff like that. And it said it's supposed to be rare, but they are extremely dangerous because it most of the time, if you see those, they tell you not to get in the ocean at all because most of the people that get in the ocean when those are there never get out of the ocean. I'm going to have to 
check into that. I've never heard. Well, it's something about you. it caught the. Um, it, it's the result of the intersection of two seas known as a cross sea or grid waves. So it's like where different oceans yeah. are joined, where they join together. And I guess that's where it's most prevalent at. But uh, the, it says that the, the it is usually socialized, uh, associated with social and local, social, social, localized, extremely mm. strong riptides. And um, it, it can cause, it causes crosswells can cause boating and shipwrecks, boats to sink, and they can even get to about 10 foot in height, too, in no, that square pattern. So it's really kind of interesting. And believe it or not, there's a documentary on the Discovery Channel about that, too. I'm not in the least bit surprised about that. Now, I mean, it, well, you know, there's a, they, they, they've done a whole lot of stuff about things like, uh, you know, methane eruptions and things like mm -hmm. that, because there's so much methane on the bottom of the ocean. You know, if there were if we were to figure out a good way to harvest that, because methane's a pretty, pretty clean burning fuel. And there's a lot of well, according to AOC. The methane oh, released by cows is causing the environment to go. Oh. Well, you know, AOC is, you know, I, that, that, it's that's nonsense. It's utter and complete balderdash. And, you know, I mean, it, it, well, I don't even want to get hardly started on that nonsense because it's just so absurd that, that, that they're filling people's heads with this kind of nonsense. But yeah, we're not, we don't need to, we don't need to put a filter on cow butts and whatnot like that. But anyway, I'm going to hush. Just let's, well, let's I would sometimes up. like to put a filter on little baby dogs, but because sometimes no. she'll cut one when she's underneath the covers and it'll wake you up from a dead sleep thinking the dead have risen. Oh, I'm sure. And they need, yeah, I mean, I got a, I've got a dog that gives those as well, as well as a, a, a kitten that, uh, that can run you out of the room <laughs> at a moment's notice. Well, you know, you know, baby dog's been sick. Oh yeah. How's she doing? She doing good. I think it's got her schedule mixed up. So she's not going to the bathroom when I think she should go to the bathroom and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. we're still trying to get that situated, but I have been on the quest to find a good dog food. Mm -hmm. And in the last week and a half, I have probably spent $450 on dog food. Well, that's why I started making my own for my dog. Yeah, but will you make mine? Because I don't like to cook. Well, it's not much cooking to it, but I mean, I go out and I buy a couple of cans of uh, of fish, you know, just canned fish, mm -hmm. and then I put them in a blender and puree them, and then I throw it into uh, a crock pot along with uh, some uh, frozen vegetables, usually about a pound or so of frozen vegetables, and then about three scoops of rice. Mm -hmm. And I pour a little bit of water in there too, so, so that the rice has something to absorb. Gotcha. And uh, makes pretty doggone good food, honestly. And uh, you well, know, I have been looking for us that are not because you know my kitchen is set up; it don't have a stove and stuff. It has vending machines. <laughs> I mean, it's easier just to keep the stuff cold. Though <laughs> I'm joking. Right. I do have a stove. <laughs> the stove is like everything else. It's a catch-all where all the crap stacked on top of it, so you can't get to it. Yeah, so I have, <laughs> I have been in the process of trying 
the pet's table, which is the one made by HelloFresh, mm-hmm. which my vet says you don't want to buy the food like that that comes in fresh because you run a higher chance of getting salmonella. And I was like, okay. well, you should have told me that before I spent $200 on food. So then I have also put a trial in for Sundays, which mm. is an air-dried food, but it's all 100% human ingredients. And I will say, and then the other food that we have is an old standby brand that I was just doing to give moisture, which is Taste of the Wild. And mm. then the dry kibble was an I, I don't know if it's Animet or Animate, but it's A-N-N-A-M-A-E-T. It's a small brand. It's never had recalls. I won't buy a dog food that's ever been recalled and mm. stuff because it just, if they can't get it right once, then they're going to mess it up again. But I'm going to be honest with you, out of all of it so far, the dog actually seems to prefer the Sunday's the best because when it's in the bowl, she cleans the bowl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so right now that's what I'm leaning toward is the Sundays. Uh, it is got a five-star rating on dogfoodadvisor.com, which is a, and if you don't know, if you're questioning your dog food, if you're not cooking it like Mr. Perfect. But, hey, uh, only reason I went down that road is because I, well, I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I just, I don't trust the food industry that much well, anymore, you know. And that's one reason, that's one plus for Sundays is the, the company was actually started by a uh, vet who and her husband who were looking for the perfect food. She's still a practicing vet. I think they live in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I think it comes out of Pennsylvania. And uh, so... I'm going to try this one. Uh, well, I'll keep you posted and let you know how it goes. But anytime you feel like you want to cook, I mean, I'll buy the ingredients. No, it's not that. I mean, again, it's not that big of a deal. And I mean, what I cook usually lasts about a, about a week. But the other problem that my my girl had is that she uh, she was allergic to every bloody mm-hmm. thing on the market. And so I tried some of these other, uh, you know, the, 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 I won't call the names of the ones that I tried, but some of these other that are the, the, you know, the fresher ones that you have to keep refrigerated. Basically. Right, 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 right. And right. she was allergic to those too. And so I was just looking for something that she could eat that would help with her allergies. And that was the only way I could get it to the point where she wasn't just clawing herself completely bloody all the time, but it has made a tremendous uh, improvement in her health. Well, I know. And for, and I know a lot of people don't realize this because I didn't realize it either, but the two main ingredients in foods that Mm -hmm. dogs usually have allergies to, and I wouldn't have thought this, for anything in the world are mm-hmm. chicken and beef. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I never Absolutely. would have thought that I thought it would be like, cause you know, you hear all this stuff about grain free and all this right. stuff. So you figured it would have been the grains or it's like some of the extra vitamins or additives they add in and mm-hmm. all this, but it, it is actually chicken and uh, beef that are the number, the top two things that, dogs are allergic to well and you have to i have to wonder because i don't know that 
I don't know that I believe it's always been the case. I just have to wonder if uh, how much of that is because of all of the, you know, the GMOs and the modifications of the grains that have been done that the chickens are fed and whatnot. Well, but, and yeah, food, I think, I think most of it is based on the old traditional kibble that is, it's mm-hmm. cooked to death. So, Right, and you know, so dog food like that. you go to, and the worst one of the worst dog foods you can buy, according to stuff I've read, is Old Roy from Walmart. I think it's well, I still, it. oh, I think it's still getting euthanized animals and reclaiming meat as their uh, in main protein ingredient. I believe that, and I yeah, I mean, of course, well, I'm not a big fan of shopping at Walmart for much anything anyway, because most everything out of Walmart comes out of China. Now I saw. Hey. Not my dad blame Oreos. Well, I don't know where your Oreos come from, but they come from the Walmart because they bring them to my house and ring my doorbell and say, here, fat boy, here's your Oreos. (laughs) Well, I got you. But uh, yeah, so the other day I saw somebody sent me because I'm, you know, I'm a beekeeper. Somebody sent me an ad where they've come out with bee free honey. Now, why in the world? Well, how do you? Anybody, well, now wait. How would do you get bee free honey? Because well, it ain't no possible way. I mean, it's a the bees make honey, and if it if a bee ain't made it, it ain't honey. But uh, it you know the the it's it's got to be mostly high fructose corn syrup, and I mean you might as well just be you know swallowing strychnine if you're doing that because again the the one of the one of the most deadly poisons that we ingest constantly as as humans is sugar it's there's just nothing but bad in in it for the most part but uh anyway i, I saw some, somebody sent me a picture that they s- took this the past spring in their garden mm-hmm. and uh it's right up your alley i think we've talked about them before i think but i'm not 100 percent sure well, you have to tell me what they, what they are before I can tell you if we've talked about them or not. Oh, the suspense is killing me. Hit oh, me boss. oh, I forgot. <laughs> blue you bees. started in the middle. Blue oh, bees. Yeah, blue bees, yeah. I've heard about it. Yes, uh, they, they, they do exist. Yeah, they, yeah I, think, I, I think, well, my friend lived, that sent me a picture of it lives in Florida. So yeah. I'm assuming it's a Floridian thing or it may just be a tropical thing. But they look I'm like blue. bumblebees, but they're blue. Yeah, I believe they are South American. I don't know if there's any in the United States or not, but yeah, they're blue because of that's the the pigment of the flowers that they primarily feed on. Well, yeah. they they're in Florida because that's where my friend says he took the picture of it at. Okay. Well, I mean, again, I'm not I'm not you know I I, I thought they were South American, but I could be wrong. I've been I've, I've been wrong once or twice. I've I've thought I was wrong, but I was usually mistaken. So, oh, you can buy you know, them now too. Buying blue, buy blue, buy blue bees. I can't even say that once, much less three times fast. <laughs> let's see. Let me just let's just see where blue bees come from. All right. Let let the suspense is killing me. Well, I can understand that. In, in the meantime, we can you know I'll try to run my mouth a little bit while. Well, you I mean it's well it don't really it doesn't really say. Well, there you go. It's a species of carpenter bee. Right. And uh, Southeast Asia, this one says Southeast Asia and Southern China. 
Okay. Well, see, uh, I had the south in there somewhere. So, so southeast Asia. Well, so they're not an. Well, they're obviously not an indigenous species. And the thing about it is that uh, carpenter bees and bumblebees. Okay. Well, again, honeybees aren't indigenous to the United States either. But honeybees and uh, carpenter bees and whatnot, they also do produce honey. They just produce very minute amounts. It's not like the honeybees do. Uh-huh. And uh, the, they, they compete for pretty much the same resources. Not that that's a big deal because there's plenty of clover out there and plenty of honeysuckle and stuff like that. But, I mean, again, the bees, what the bees like is uh, wildflowers. Okay. All right. Well, here, evidently, my friend, they're because they are in Florida. Uh-huh. Uh, I I just went back to the text and they sent me a. If I'd read further down past the picture, they sent me a link talking about the bees, right. and they found the first the first time it had been sighted recently was in 2020. In in March, they've been sighted mm-hmm. since then, but up until. They had not been spotted before then, after 2016, which led people to think that they were extinct. Right, right, right. I remember reading about them thinking that they were extinct when they found them. But again, what in the world else are we going to be invaded by from China? I mean, we got those spiders, we got the bees, we got all kind of, we got those fish, the jumping carp things that uh, are Those are called flying fish. No, not flying fish. To fly, those are they're these carps that, that. Hey, if you go sailing, you got to be careful. You can't leave your portholes open, or sometimes the flying fish will jump in. But that's a different. That's ocean going. I'm talking about freshwater. These, it's a carp, and that, I mean, you can go up the Mississippi River with just a net hanging out of your boat, and it, they get when they get scared, they jump out of the water, and you can just scoop them up in a net. You don't even, don't even have to put well, bait on it. Well, I don't know if they're edible. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess I reckon they are. I don't know. But, uh, I well, mean, I mean a fish has got to be, I mean, it's a fish. Well, not, not all fish are edible because there's, you know, like barracuda, for example, they have very high mercury content and stuff like that. So you can't. Well, well then if, if you ha- eat barracuda, then you just get to where you can sing, we are the champions. <laughs> Okay, I don't follow that precisely, but I'm gonna leave that where it is. Then but you'll become instead you instead of Freddie Mercury, you'll oh, be Mark Mercury. Well, okay, I got you. But yeah, the uh, bad joke, bad joke, brain hurt. But uh, <laughs> the uh, that's you don't know if you remember Sweetums or not. That was his line from the from uh, the Muppets. Bad joke, All right. brain hurt. <laughs> I did watch that episode of The Tick where the chameleon guy says can't do plaid. And yes, that is freaking funny. And I'm going to say, uh, since you're, we're doing doing the quasi-quotes from TV shows, I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a quote until you Uh-oh. tell me who said it. Oh, Lord. Go ahead. Right. Who loves you, baby? Uh, uh, Telly Savalas. That's the actor, not the show. Yeah, well, the show was Kojak, yeah. And you know something about Kojak? I've rewatched, and you're right, it was Kojak. I have rewatched mm-hmm. some of those episodes. Uh huh. Kojak, as a detective in New York City, was undoubtedly the luckiest man on the face of the earth because he, in the downtown Manhattan, always mm-hmm. seemed to find a parking place right near the crime scene. 
Oh yeah. Well, you know, there you go. Ain't well, that amazing? Of course, the th- situation is in Manhattan. You at back then, and probably again now today, you could you didn't have to drive very far to find a find a uh, to find a uh, uh, body crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if the people on the road don't learn how to drive in between mm. my house and the office. There's going to be a crime scene because I ain't never in my life. I still have yet to figure out that one stretch of highway is 30 some miles long and it don't Mm. turn. It's straight. There is Mm. a wreck there every day. Well, that is one of the things I have absolutely noticed. I mean, because, you know, I I spent most of my life driving on the road to earn my daily bread. And man, howdy, ever boy, howdy, ever since the dadgum, ever since the lockdowns, people have no idea how to drive anymore. I mean, it's just absolutely insane out there. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, what happened? It's, it is crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But, uh, you know, I mean, again, these, so let's, let me, one of the things I was going to talk about and I wanted to bring up though, is that uh, we were talking a little bit about, we t- we talked a little bit about the Bermuda Triangle, but you know, yep. they uh, apparently have found an even older city than Gobekli Tepe. Okay. Which I also found out intriguingly in that particular documentary that I was watching that Gobekli Tepe uh, translates roughly to Potbelly Hill. <laughs> so okay. didn't realize I was related, but now I know. So anyway, but the uh, well, but I mean again, so in Gobekli Tepe dates back as far as they can tell. I mean, you can't carbon date stone, so it right, goes right. back to. That, but they, you know, from the stuff around it, it's it's at least eleven thousand years old or more, which would put it at the end of the Younger Dryas. And um, so they found settlements again made of stone that are even older than that, which would come from roughly the middle of the Younger Dryas. So I mean, again, and of course, modern archaeology still tells us that that uh, back during those times, people were just wandering around with, with sticks and rocks, chasing down woolly mammoths and things mm-hmm. like that and, and, and not building settlements. And these were obviously very, you know, thriving cities and whatnot like that. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it just goes again. Well, and of course, the other side of that, the other portion of that documentary that I was going to refer to it, uh, there are warnings on the pillars talking about the area of the of space of the universe what have you that we are currently going through and it, you know of course it's where we get the toroid meteor showers from okay and so again they were you know that that whole thing ties into you know the flood legends in uh the book of genesis and then the uh, sumerian uh traditions and the Indians and all of these other cultures that talk about the great flood that wiped everything mm-hmm. out. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thought process being that it had something to do with the, uh, with the uh, toroid meteor belt or meteor showers that we run through all the time, which is where you get uh, the, the, the most active 
uh, display of, of meteor showers and stuff like that, which is, you know, usually in uh, October, November timeframe that you're cruising through those things. So, you know, anyway, but uh, I, I just find all of that interesting because, again, that also uh, brings me to the reshot structure, which I had okay. never heard of until. I haven't heard week. of it. Well, I heard about it last week. And apparently, you know, the uh, story of the, you know, Plato's story and about the legend of Atlantis talks about how mm -hmm. Atlantis was very wealthy. It was a trade hub. It was made of concentric circles and it had a, um, channel on one side that connected with the ocean uh -huh. and that it was out past the pillars of Hercules, which are this is the, we've basically called that the Strait of Gibraltar these days. Well, so this, you know, of course there's been all sort of speculation, everything from, uh, the, you know, and of course, Atlantis sunk beneath the waves in the space of one day and one night. Mm -hmm. And um, so at any rate, there's all, all these, um, you know, the you know, speculation of it being somewhere in the middle of the ocean or of it being actually Antarctica. And, it you know, something happened in Antarctica slid from middle of the Atlantic Ocean down to the South Pole uh, or being off the coast of uh, of uh uh, Florida. Well, that, it sliding like that sounds kind of like about Guam tipping over. Well, there you go. Well, now there's a there's you know because the the tectonic plate theory about them you know base, basically are are solidified bits of dirt that are over the top of of a magma mm -hmm. lake or what have you. So you know there's all kind of theory about that. But at any rate, so this this particular space, this reshot structure, fits nearly every it checks nearly every box from the stories that Plato told um, except of course that it's not straight out past the uh, Strait of Gibraltar you would basically go out the Strait of Gibraltar and then make an immediate left along the coast well that's still past though that's still yeah I mean because I don't think he actually Plato said it's past the Hercules, not just right there, right? But again, the but it, that in 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 the other part of that is that he didn't really he was translating stories and legends that were told to him that had been around me because it was a long time ago when Atlantis supposedly existed. But that goes again, and I, we've talked about it many times. I'm a very firm believer that you know, that, that, that history repeat tends to repeat itself, especially where human beings are in, involved, because we tend to do the same. We tend to make the same stupid mistakes over and over and over because, you know, the, the whole adage oh, is those who, that's why, well, those who, who refuse to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. But well, uh, I, and I recently, know, it, the problem is though, is, you know, it, that plays into that is they don't mm -hmm. really teach history anymore. Well, that's true. Yeah. Again, this is a, and that's why I think things tend to repeat themselves and be cyclic because you, you, you over and over and over again, you get the same kind of situation that we've got going on today where you get a, a, a small handful of greedy, self-serving people that want to keep everybody else ignorant 
I mean, it's basically like a cosmic game of King of the Hill. They get up to a certain point, and then they spend all their time playing defense so they don't have to work as hard to stay on top of everything. And so they keep everybody stupid and want to make sure that they're fed a bunch of misinformation and stuff like that. And so you eventually wind up with a stupid population. And, and, and the other side of that coin is, yes, those who refuse to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. But also, those of us who do learn from history are still condemned to watch it be repeated because there's so doggone many people that refuse to learn anything from history. So, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. But at any rate, the reshot structure is in North Africa and, of course, dates back again to, you know, prior to the end of the last Ice Age. And that would be during the time frame when, uh, you know, the, the Sahara Desert was a lush tropical climate. So it's kind of interesting. I think all a of lot stuff, of, Well, you know, a lot of that stuff. And I think that's one of the interesting things. Why, and sometimes it's, it gets to be a little far-fetched. But you see a lot of stuff like that, like on that ancient alien show mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And while, you know, I'm not, I don't discount aliens. I think I... I think it's awful arrogant to think that, and I it'd be awful sad to think that we are the only intelligent life in out there. I but, think it's um, sad to, to. I think it's sad that you consider us to be intelligent life. Well, that I, I was <laughs> kind of what I was referring to, but I mean, you see some of that stuff, and you're like, well, that just don't make any sense. It's just kind of dumb. But some of that stuff, especially like the uh, how the the wall they built the walls with such precision that you can't even get pieces of paper in it. And it lines up perfectly even 500, 600,000 years later with this movement of the stars and the sun. It's just amazing. And well, that, you know, and again, some of these, some of these stones that they're, that are lined up with this amazing precision and whatnot, they were carted for thousands, well, not thousands, but, at the very least, hundreds of miles away from where they were quarried. And many of them, in many cases, are so dadgum heavy, we'd have trouble moving them that far today. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, I mean, and the, the intriguing thing again is you've got all of these ancient, ancient, ancient structures that were just, you know, that we look at today and go, how in the blazes did they build that? And then all of a sudden, it all goes back to, you know, uh, people living in dirt huts and tents and being right. nomads. And, you know, so that, I mean, that's well, and, you know, it's like, what was it? The, the Easter Island, you know, the legend yeah. is they yeah. walked the heads to where they were. And then when they got there, we're just thinking the big heads. But when you dig down, there's actually bodies attached to them right, underneath right. the ground. Well, and we actually, they actually did figure out based on, you know, because there's a whole lot of those bad boys that, that fell over when they were being moved from where they were quarried to where they, where they were supposed to sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, they did walk them. So basically they figured out how that one worked. And I saw a documentary, no less about that. And what they had done is they basically the bottom of the Moai, as they're called, the statues, was rounded. It was kind of at an angle. So they sort of pitched forward 
not a whole lot, but a little bit. And then they uh, could tie, you could tie ropes on those bad boys and tie you know, pull them from side to side and they would wobble sort of like a weeble. Okay. And when they wobbled, they would move forward. So that was how they, uh, that was one of the ways that they moved those. So there is, I mean, again, there's a lot of, of ingenuity and whatnot that, that, I mean, people have been pretty smart for a long time, uh, or at least as smart as whatever we consider smart to be. Right. Uh, if, you know, but, uh, so there's really not that significant of an amount of difference in the intelligence of a modern human versus a human from 20, 30,000 years ago. Um, well, the know, one from 20 or 30,000 years ago probably read more and knew more about what happened before their history than we know about ours. Well, and that's the truth. Again, that's one of those that we look at now. So my grandmother was born before motor cars were common and before mm-hmm. the first flight and she lived for 102 years. So she went from a society where nobody had electricity, nobody had, uh, you know, indoor plumbing or running water. Well, I don't know about running water, but, but they didn't have automobiles. They didn't have airplanes. And she lived through uh, electricity coming through with, with, you know, and, and people putting a man on the moon. But, you know, we tend to, and this, as I understand it, actually goes back to uh, Henry Ford, um, what they, when, when they were making automobiles, um, Henry Ford created revolving consumer credit. Your credit cards that you have today are revolving consumer credit. Now, he took the concept of the um, assembly line from the meat factories in Chicago, which uh, they, you know, the meat packing industry there, they invented that piece. Now, a, a butcher, an actual butcher, is a pretty amazing has a pretty amazing skill set because they can take a critter and they can find places and ways to get meat off of that thing. That you know, they, there's there's no waste when they're right, done. Right, right, right. Okay. Now, so the idea then was that it took a long time to train a butcher and make him a good butcher, but it only took a little bit of time to teach people how to do just one small portion of that job. And so they would train people to do one small portion of that job and do it well, and then that was where the assembly line came from. Well, Henry Ford applied that same uh, concept to the automotive manufacturing assembly line. Well, what that winds up with is you, you know, it, 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 the, the, the same kind of thing is the, the meat packing plant. It requires, you know, butchers are, are, are high dollar commodities because it takes so many years to learn how to do it well and correctly. Right. Right. But if all you know how to do is quarter something, that's fairly easy to teach somebody and you can get good at it fairly quickly, especially if you're quartering eight, you know, 800 bovines in a day. That's an, uh, obviously a uh, exaggeration. But at any rate, so the point being, it reduces the wages, it reduces the necessary skill set, and it, and it make, creates a greater profit margin for the, you know, the, 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 the banker, financier, whatever you want to call it, the one that is making money off of 
other people's skill sets. Right, right. Now, so the end result being that as they were making these cars, eventually it came to the point where they had reduced wages enough, nobody was able to afford to buy the car. So they created an advertising campaign, they created revolving credit, and they created an advertising campaign that basically said, you don't want to live your life by saving up until you can afford something. That's the old way. That's the way your parents did it. You want to you wanna be able to own it now, so use revolving credit so you get what you want now and it's and you don't have to delay the gratification until you've actually earned it. Right. And that's where it all came from. But again, the the the, the I'm sorry, that was a very long-winded story to get to the point of because of those type of advertising campaigns, we developed this belief that the folks that came before us were stupid. They're dumb because they didn't have automobiles and they didn't have computers and they didn't have cell phones, but they were a whole lot smarter than we were because just imagine what it would be like for most people today. If you had to live without your grocery store and without your cell phone and without your electricity. So what are you going to do when you can't put your uh, meat products or whatever you've got in a refrigerator to keep them uh from rotting and going bad. What are you going to do? Well, you can't have an ice box because you got to have electricity to make that ice. Okay. I mean, again, you know how I used to make ice is they would have back in the winters when the lakes froze, they would uh, send people out and cut up chunks of ice out of the frozen lakes. Right. And then store it for the summertime so that you, you know, up as cold as you could get it. And, uh, and, and that's where the ice came from. They didn't make ice. They had to let nature make ice for them. Right. So, you know, and this is the world that the, that the AOCs want to return us to where we don't have the ability to, to, to provide for. Well, ourselves. you know, but you know, and I think AOC is a little misguided because I think even on here, we've talked about this before. We, you know, did, well, I mean, even in the whole, talking about how we've destroyed the universe, the planet and all this other stuff. I mean, I remember when you took the Coke bottles back and they washed them and filled them back up and brought them back out milk bottles the same way. When a baby took a dump, you washed the diaper out and used the wind to dry it. You didn't throw it away and get a new one every time a baby took a crap. So, I mean, and when we bought water, we drunk it out of the hose or the tap and we didn't have all these plastic bottles running around. So don't say right. we did it because we didn't do nothing. Right, right. Well, again, yeah, that was the, you know, in the the whole thing industry is what created the problems that we're being blamed for. And speaking of creating problems we're being blamed for, that was what we talked about Mayor Adams a little bit last week. Well, Mayor Adams, of course, is is he is no longer a darling of the democratic party because he's speaking out about this whole, uh, border crisis, uh, and the illegal alien crisis that's, that's been going on for quite some time now. Well, the, the, the point that he was making, he, he came up and started hollering about how the federal government needs to do something about the problem that they created, which is, is absolutely true. But what he's looking for is a federal government handout. 
Okay, he's looking for federal government, money from the federal government to make things easier on New Yorkers. Okay, right. now, herein lies the problem that I, that, you know, for me. Now, the, the, the federal government does definitely need to do something about uh, the problem that they created. But what they need to do about the problem that they created is they need to close the dadgum border, okay, and fix the laws that are the problem and not let people come into this country illegally. That's what they need to do. The, 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 the problem that we as the citizenry of the United States has is that I don't care if it's federal, state, or local government, they've kind of gotten into the point where they think that the money that they have to, to spend is their money to do with as they please. Right. And it ain't their money. It's our money but they are using it to do whatever they dadgum will please. And that's what's got to stop. And, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, anybody that's out there that is stupid enough to think that abortion is the most important issue for this election, or even the economy is the most important issue for their, this election, you are ignorant of the facts. I won't, you know, I, if you're smart enough to hear what I'm saying and adjust your behavior, then you're not stupid. If you aren't smart enough to adjust your behavior as a result of what I'm saying, you are stupid. Okay. Right. Because the problem is the people that are in power, and that is at, at nearly every level of government, there are probably a handful of good ones out there, are spending your tax dollars willy nilly. The, however they see fit and they need to be stopped and removed from office replaced by people who are not as corrupt because the problem is by the time they get up into these levels of the high levels of power they are so bought and pay, they've been bought and paid for and, and, and resold so many times they're useless so we gotta, you you got to get out there. You got to start being involved. You got to use your head and not vote based on oh I don't like him or I do like her or whatever. You got to actually do the work and learn about these you people. Got to do your due diligence. You got to do your due diligence. You got to hold them accountable. You can't mm -hmm. just leave them in there because well if we don't vote for this guy then we'll lose our special perks and privileges because that's how they keep you. All right. Sorry, well, I, that's, well I mean, essentially, that was Lyndon Johnson and his favorite oh, yeah. quote that I'm not going to say, but it came to right. pass. And with that, that's the snout to the curly tail and everything in between. And we gone. Have a good night, sir. You've been listening to the Carolina Underground. Our passion is to talk about technology, history, media, politics, and how it's all changed over the years and affects our daily life as Gen Xers. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Twitter at CarolinaUNDGRND. Hit the website at www.thecarolinaunderground.com. And if you've got questions or comments, send an email to info at thecarolinaunderground.com. Stay Gen X strong. See you next time on the Carolina Underground. <laughs>